All right, kids, come on up to... You're already here, Shane. I had my eyes closed. And when I was done praying, I went to say, come on up. And you were already here. After we say that prayer, then we come up because you're smart. You're very smart. You are very smart. Okay, so you're going to sit down because your mom said to sit down, and you need new glasses. Okay. Well, I want to tell you guys a real quick story, and then you're going to go back to your class, okay? Is there a class? There is a class. All right. Cool. Well, we're just going to take a real quick story. How many of you people know what a carpenter is? No. You, you don't know what a carpenter is? I've never seen He's a person that uses a hammer and a saw, and he builds things. Yeah. Bob. Pastor Bob. At your school, you so have fake could, saws? Yeah, so we could cut the snow. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you a story real quick okay. about saws and hammers and building stuff. Okay? My dad actually has a hammer. He does? Sweetie, I need you to sit down on your bottom, just like your mom said, okay? I'm sitting down. Let me show you real quick the story, real quick. A hammer is used to pound nails. A saw is used to cut wood. A, a ruler is used to measure stuff. All different kind of tools. And you know what? You have to have all different kind of tools to do the building. Well, guess what? God gives us tools, too. Sometimes God teaches us, gives us the power to pray and people get healed. Sometimes God gives us the ability to speak and people listen to us. Sometimes God gives us the ability to be like a doctor or a nurse and heal people. God gives us tools too so that we can bring glory to God. So I want to pray for you guys that God will help you to find out what tools God is giving you so that you can be used of God to bring glory. What tools do you have? Okay. Well, let me pray that God gives you some tools. I know, but, but Let's pray with me. Pray with me. Hold on my hands. Can you pray with me? No. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would bless these kids. And I ask that you would help them to learn the tools that you're giving them so that they can work for you and do a great job. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on down to your class now, okay? Cool. There was no way I was getting through that story. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. No, I had a whole long story, but I realized, nope, not going to happen today. That's okay. I'll tell you the story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Matthew 25. For some of you, you may have that piece of paper that I passed out a couple, three weeks ago. It's called the step-by-step, -step, um, whatever it was called. Step-by-step -step with Jesus, a Holy Week timeline. 
And I just want to refer us back to that because we're literally down to the last three weeks now, uh, four weeks of 25, 26, 27, 28, four weeks of the, uh, the looking at the book of Matthew. Um, if you look at the Holy Week timeline, Jesus um, on, on Tuesday morning, he had gone into the uh, temple area. And last week we talked about as they were leaving the temple area, his disciples were going, ooh, look at all these beautiful stones and beautiful carvings. And, all this. and Jesus says, this is going to fall down. And then he goes up to the Mount of Olives and he begins what's called the Olivet Discourse. And he starts talking to them about all of these different stories. Well, this is literally the last chance that Jesus has to spend any time with his disciples imparting information to them. And, you know, it's like if you're on your deathbed and you have the last thing you want to say to somebody, you, those are, these are words that you are, are wanting to make sure that they have an impact and that they, that they, that they, they stick. You want the last thing you say to somebody to be something that they hold on to for a long, long time, if not for the rest of their lives. So that's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 25. He is giving them the last few words. So it is Tuesday afternoon. He's up on Mount of Olives. He's talking with his disciples. And if you open up your Bibles, you will find Matthew chapter 25 starts out with a parable about 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins. We're not looking at them today. That's going to be our discussion for Wednesday. So you can just pass beyond that. But then if you get to the next section of chapter 25, you see... That Jesus is talking to his disciples about, um, bear with me, I'm having trouble getting it open. There we go. About a parable of talents. And that was what I was trying to talk to the kids about. Um, so let me give you the real quick synopsis of what I was going to say to the kids. Because it's important that you hear this so that you'll understand where we're going with the rest of the sermon. Um, Jesus talks about this guy that goes on a trip and he gives talents to these people and they blah, blah, blah. It's talking about money. But I was, I found a really cool children's story that I wanted to share with the kids this morning that for me, it was an eye opener on how this actually means something. This parable of talents. I, I, I know, I don't, it never has touched me. You know, yeah, this guy gets 10 talents. This guy gets five talents. This guy gets one talent. This guy doubles it. This guy doubles it. This guy just puts um, one in the ground and hands it back to him. And he's like, you should have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest. Blah, 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 blah. And it just never really speak spoke to me. It, I mean, I've, I've been a Christian now for 40 plus, 45 plus years. This particular verse or, or, or parable just never really gripped me until I read this children's sermon this week. And I went, duh, duh. And so I want to share with you because it's important. And I wish that the kids could have heard it, but they just weren't in a place to be able to hear it this morning. That's okay. They'll hear it eventually. There's a guy who is a contractor and he has three workers who work for him. They're, he has other workers, but these three are kind of, you know, the, the, the leaders in his organization. They haven't really been raised up to leadership, but he sees leadership potential in them. So he gathers those three into the office one day and he says, guys, listen, I am 
going to be gone for a period of time. I'm going to be out of town and I need you to keep the business going. So this is what I have done. And he turns to the first guy and he hands him a complete and full complement of tools. Have you ever been to like a mechanic shop and you see these tall rolling racks and they open the drawers and there's foam and every tool known to man is in the foam and you pull up the next drawer and it's like kind of like Gary's garage, okay? So this guy calls this one guy over and he says, here's what I'm giving you to do the job that I have for you. And this guy, I mean, it's like absolutely every tool known to man that a carpenter would need. Absolutely everything. And he's like, you're giving this to me? Yes, because I trust you and I have a job for you to do. Wow. Second guy comes in. He says, I have a job for you to do. I need you to take the lead. And I have bought you some brand new tools. Now, it is not as extensive as this set over here that he just gave the first guy. But he pulls out this rolling cart and gives it. And the guy's like, all of this is for me? He said, yes, it is. I I anticipate that what you're going to be doing, these are every tool that you're going to need to accomplish what I need you to do. Wow, this is mine? Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. Go for it. Just do a good job for me. I'll see you when I get back. Okay. And so that guy leaves. The third guy comes in. And the, the owner of the boss, the boss of the, of the company says, listen, I've got an important job for you and I need you to do a, a really great job for me. And I have bought you some new tools. Now, it is nothing like the first one and it is nothing like the second one, but it is still a really nice rolling cart with tools in it and fo- the foam and everything, just like all of the others. But it's just not as extensive because this guy is not as skilled as these other two, but he still is is trustworthy and he's going to be entrusted with an important job. So I bought you all these new tools and I and the guy's like, really, this is for me? He goes, yes, I need you to use it. And then just give me an accounting when you get back, when I get back. Okay, thank you. The guy goes off on his business trip. When he comes back six weeks later, he calls in the first guy. He says, how'd it go? And the guy said, well, you know, you didn't give me a lot of instruction. You just said that you wanted me to go do the job, but I recognize your heart is to, to really touch people. And, and, and I saw that there was a lot of people who were homeless in our community. And so I took an initiative. I hope it's okay. And I got a crew of people together and we built houses for homeless people. And we were able to secure the funding for it. And so it didn't cost you anything. I said, I pretty well trashed my tools. I mean, I've used them to death, but I, I really feel good about what we accomplished. And the, the owner's just like, Exactly what I expected from you. I knew that you would step up to this. And what I want to do for you now is you are going to be over my entire division of new construction. Every time I get a new construction job, you're the man who's going to oversee it. I'm going to put people under you. You're going to have resources available to you that you never expected. And the man's like, wow. And he leaves. Second guy comes in. He says, how did it go? He said, oh man, it was a ride. I enjoyed it so much. He said, I, I've used the tools a lot. I mean, I, I probably gonna have to replace a couple because some of them got used so much that they started to get worn down. But the reality was, I know how you have a heart 
for the people who are, who are widows and orphans and poor. I know that you love these people. I've seen it in your life. So I just felt it was important that we reached out to those people in our community. And so I started working with some other people and we put together a, a community center and we got together, um, some housing for the, for the elderly and we got together and we put together a play school for some of this, for the, some of the children of the community. And the man's like, he said, he said, but you, you didn't build new, did you? No, no, no. We just revamped what was already in place. We remodeled. We, we, we repaired. We got it all up to 100%. It was wonderful. We got it all up to code. Everything's great. And the man said, you did exactly what I expected from you. I am so thrilled. As a matter of fact, because I know that I can trust you, we are going to be expanding. And you will be my new vice president over maintenance and repair. Everything dealing with maintenance repair, you are now the guy. And I'm going to get you more tools and more equipment and more people. And we're going to just go skyrocketing. And the guy's like, really? He said, yes. Thank you. And the second guy walks out. Third guy comes in. He says, how'd it go while I was gone? He goes, well, I, I, I didn't want to mess anything up. So I took real good care of those tools. You did? Well, what'd you do with them? I polished them every day. I made sure that they were inventoried every single day. I didn't lose a single one. They're in pristine condition. And I'm going to give them back to you now that you're back. Because I know how important it is that we keep good care of the stuff that you loaned to us. And the boss was like, what in the world? What? You didn't do anything with the tools I gave you? Well, I kept them clean. I kept them inventoried. I kept them polished. You're fired. And he fired the man. And he told his, his, uh, his secretary to make sure that all of those tools went to the number one guy because they'd get some good use with him. And that's the end of the story. Now let's look at the third part of this chapter, the final judgment. Jesus starts out this chapter by saying the kingdom of heaven is like because if you look at verse one it says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins blah 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 then it says parable of talents verse 14 for it will be like a man going on a journey so the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey but then in verse 31 when he starts talking about the final judgment he doesn't say the kingdom of heaven will be like Now, remember, this is the last thing, the last teaching that we have recorded that Jesus is giving before his arrest, before his crucifixion. This is the last recorded teaching of Jesus. So let's read it. Verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison 
and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will turn to those on his left and say, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I'm going to be bouncing around a bunch of scriptures, so I'm going to give you the the references. You can write them down and look them up later. We don't have time for to turn here and read it, turn here and read it. So I'm not going to take the time for that, but just understand um, if you want to follow along, just be prepared to write down the, the, the passages. Earlier in the, math, the book of Matthew, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the last teaching of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount was pretty much the first teaching of Jesus. And in chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this seems... To be almost opposite to what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Because Matthew 25 says, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. And because of that, I don't want you in my world. Get away from me. Here he's saying, they're saying, but we we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And he's like, I never knew you. I never knew you. And think about that. What? How is it possible to do mighty, powerful things in the name of Jesus and have him declare he didn't have relationship with you? And you have to go back up to verse 21 where he said, not the excuse me, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, only the one who does the will of the Father. So what is the will of the Father? Because isn't doing powerful things in Jesus' name and healing and prophesying and casting out demons, isn't that the will of the Father? When Jesus was questioned about what were the greatest commandments in Matthew 22, 
the Pharisaic lawyer said, well, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response to him was, the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all of your being. But he didn't leave it there. Jesus said there was a second commandment that was just like the first. The need to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself. Jesus said that these two commandments sum up all of the law and the prophets. So all of the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament can be condensed down to love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus taught. Now, I'm going to read for, to you a chapter without telling you where, because you're going to recognize it instantly. But I want you to think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to be in heaven. Only those who do the will of the father. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with your whole being. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the word of God declares, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Love is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rather, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith and hope and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, if I were discipling someone, helping them to be to understand what it is that God wants of them, that is not enough to simply say to them, God wants you to love. Even though the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor is the second greatest commandment, that is not all there is to doing the will of the Father. Even though it's the greatest commandment. 
And let me share with you some verses that support that. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of anything you do. That way you can't boast about it. James taught. This is James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James later on in his same book or letter wrote in chapter 2 verses 14 to 18. What good is it my brothers if someone says that he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, but without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Now. What is all of that in relation to this story about sheep and goats? Because Jesus very clearly said, depart from me, I I, I have nothing to do with you. But Lord, when did we not? Blah, 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 blah. And this whole idea of people saying, Lord, Lord, and not being in right relationship has always been a thing for me that I I struggle with. How can somebody call him Lord? How can somebody say, I I own these teachings and not really have relationship? Excuse me. And I think for me, the easiest way to answer that is it's real easy to give lip service. I can say I agree, I can say I assent, I can say I believe, but what if it really meant you giving up everything for God? What if God literally said to you, one of your neighbors just lost their home through no fault of their own. It was burned by an arsonist and I want you to give them your house. What? Yeah. I want you to sign the deed to your property over to this family. You move out. You take on a new mortgage or you take on a lease because they can't. And you give them the house and you give them all the furnishings. Could you do that? Because to love your neighbor as you love yourself and to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, literally means nothing about me. It literally means I have to come to God and say, nothing is mine. 
It is all yours, God. I am willing to give absolutely anything and everything that you ask of me in order to show you my love and my commitment to you. Now, that's not trying to earn God's love. That's, that's, that's what we're talking. This is not works. You cannot earn grace. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. You are still a child of God. However, however, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what we teach as Wesleyan Arminian theologian theology people is we teach that the longer that you are in right relationship with God, you will begin to look more and more like Jesus by the way that you live your life by displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Why? Because as you literally are allowing God's Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you and to grow you as a Christian, you are less and less yourself and more and more like Christ. Your selfishness has to be sacrificed. Your desires have to be sacrificed. Your goals have to be sacrificed. Now, if they can be in line with God's perfect will, then of course you can still have. As long as it never goes more than God's perfect will. Because once you start going more than God's perfect will in your own selfishness, it's no longer Christ-like. And you start getting to the dangerous point of going, oh, I'm not sure that I can give that, God. Because, mm, that, mm. So my question to you in this, if you look at the screen, James chapter 1, verse 27, it's been in front of you all morning long. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I would submit to you that it is easier for you to keep yourself clean than it is for you to go out and do the love. Now, if you go to Jude, which we're not going to go there this morning, but if you go to Jude, he talks about going out and snatching people out of the fire, but making sure you don't get smoke on you. Okay, that's talking about literally going out and rescuing somebody from the pit of hell, if you will, and but making sure you stay clean. That's that's an evangelist. That's a person who has a special gifting. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that. I'm just saying recognize that that's, that's going way beyond what James is talking about. James is talking about simply living a holy and pure life before God. But see, you can live a holy and pure life before God and you can know the scriptures backwards, forwards, inside and out. And you can, you can say, I've been to church every time the doors were open. And you can say, I never once, never once allowed myself to be defiled. And Jesus would say to you, don't call me Lord, Lord, because I never knew you. 
Because just because you went to church every Sunday, just because you wore the right clothes, just because you wrote your tithe check every week, just because you read the Bible 15 minutes every single morning, just because, just because, just because you were not in right relationship with me, you were just going through the motions. You can't earn your salvation. It's a gift of grace. But when you have salvation and it's real and it's genuine, it's twofold. You are trying very hard to no longer allow the world to have an influence over you so that you can live a holy and pure and righteous life. But it is always with the goal of honoring God, not honoring yourself, not trying to make yourself look good or look right. It is always with the goal of what do you have for me today, Lord? Where should I go today? What do I need to do to bring glory to you? What in the world, Father, would should I give up if necessary to make sure that I am showing indeed honest, true, pure, unadulterated love to the people around me? I'm not saying you're not doing it. I am saying that if the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now, you're not doing it right. Now, I'm not trying to lay any guilt on you at all. I'm just saying, if you truly believe that we are entering into the end times, which personally I do, if you truly believe we're entering into the end times, the Bible clearly tells us that there is a danger for even those of us who are part of the family of God to have our love for God wax cold and for us to fall away. From the faith. How is that possible? I don't know. Otherwise I would put a pill together. And make sure it never happened. But it says that it is possible. So you need to guard against that. How? Getting so close to God. That he has to tell you to scoot over. Being intentional. And again, it is more every morning not saying, I read my Bible, I read my, my, I read my devotional, I did my... No, it's saying, God, how do I serve you today? Give me my marching orders. And let me wrap it up by saying this. God doesn't care how shiny the tools are or how perfectly pristine the toolbox is. If you're not using the tools he gave you, you're worthless to him. And he's going to find someone else to use who will use the tools. Said it right there in the story of the talents. Take it from the one who refuses to do anything with it and give it to the one that I know I can trust who will use it. And this one, that's not what I want for any of you. But like I said, if the Holy Spirit's the one talking to you, then you need to get on your face before God and say, how do we make this right? If he's not talking to you, then just pray for the rest of us. Because obviously you're where you need to be. So. I think my heart's clear. I think I've said what I needed to say. Let's pray. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for trusting the fact that we're going to carry the torch for the length of time that you've given us to run this race.
And then when it's time for us to leave, we'll hand it off to the next person in the relay. But for now, thank you for trusting us with this light, with this truth, with this work. Help us to be faithful. Help us to use that which you've given us to bring you glory and to bring others along the way to an understanding of grace and faith and power and holiness and love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.